Life in the isolated ranger station had always been quiet, but as I took on the responsibility of its maintenance, the solitude became a canvas for the supernatural. My days were filled with the creaking of floorboards, distant whispers that hung in the air, and the unmistakable presence of unseen entities. The station, nestled deep within the heart of the wilderness, had long been abandoned by the park service. It stood as a relic of a bygone era, its weathered timbers echoing with memories of rangers who once called it home. When I arrived, I was eager to breathe life back into its decaying bones, unaware of the spectral inhabitants that awaited me. The strange occurrences began subtly the murmur of conversations just beyond my hearing range, soft footsteps echoing in empty corridors, and fleeting glimpses of shadowy figures darting out of sight. At first, I dismissed these incidents as products of an overactive imagination, the result of long hours spent in solitude. However, as the days wore on, the phenomena escalated, becoming impossible to ignore. One evening, as the sun dipped below the horizon, casting the ranger station into an eerie twilight, I heard the unmistakable sound of laughter echoing through the empty halls. Startled, I hurried to investigate, only to find the rooms empty and the laughter fading into an unsettling silence. Determined to uncover the truth behind these unexplained events, I delved into the history of the ranger station. Dusty archives revealed the station's vibrant past, a hub of activity teeming with rangers who dedicated their lives to preserving the wilderness. However, it was a tragic event that stained the station's legacy. Decades ago, a group of rangers had perished in a devastating wildfire that swept through the area. The abandoned station had once been a bustling outpost, a second home for those who protected the park. The spirits of those lost in the flames seemed to linger, their presence intertwined with the very essence of the station. Haunted by the revelations, I sought to communicate with the lingering spirits, hoping to bring closure to the tragic events of the past. Armed with candles and old photographs, I embarked on a series of seances within the station's walls, attempting to bridge the gap between the living and the dead. During these sessions, the air thickened with unseen energy, and the station seemed to come alive with ethereal voices. Through whispers and faint touches, the spirits conveyed their lingering sorrow, forever tethered to the place they had once called home. It became clear that their spectral presence was not malevolent but trapped, unable to move on. As my understanding of the spirits deepened, so did my commitment to helping them find peace. I enlisted the help of paranormal investigators, experts in the supernatural who brought with them an array of instruments to measure and document the phenomena. Together, we conducted thorough investigations, capturing chilling eaves and shadowy apparitions on camera. The turning point came when I discovered an old journal hidden in the station's attic. Its yellowed pages chronicled the final moments of the rangers' lives, detailing their valiant efforts to protect the park from the relentless flames. It was as if the words themselves held the key to unlocking the spirit's torment. Armed with this newfound knowledge, we conducted a final seance, using the journal as a focal point to communicate with the lingering souls. The atmosphere crackled with energy as the spirits responded, their voices expressing gratitude and acceptance. Slowly, the ranger station seemed to sigh with relief, the weight of decades-old sorrow lifting from its time-worn beams. In the weeks that followed, 
The once abandoned outpost transformed into a haven of tranquility. The mysterious footsteps and whispers ceased, replaced by an air of serenity that permeated every corner. The spirits, finally free from the shackles of the past, had found their peace, and the ranger station became a testament to the resilience of both the living and the dead. This happened in the Nature Coast area of Florida. We were hiking a few miles deep into an area called the Wikiwashi Preserve. This place used to be a mine before it filled up with water. Now it's open clearings with mounds of dirt hills here and there and thick forest and vegetation surrounding it. We hiked out for about an hour and a half, making it through the clearings and lakes to the opposite side's forest. We walked a short bit into the forest and quickly realized how dark it was getting. We turned around to head back to the car and made it a few yards back into the clearing and lakes, but we both turned around and saw something. I remember first thinking it must be a giraffe because of how tall and lanky it was. It stood on two legs and reached the height of the trees at the mouth of the forest. It was walking from left to right, halfway between us and the forest. I remember it leaning forward slightly, bending at where the pelvis would be. I don't recall much detail whether because it was dusk or so difficult to comprehend. I remember it as just black. We watched it cross the path we had just come down and head toward the right, through some tall grass on either side of the trail. It seemed so tall, definitely too tall to be a person. My brother and I looked at each other and ran all the way back to the car without a word. It was early October in 2018, and we had just moved to the area almost a year ago. It's a small house in a one-off cul-de-sac. The closest thing to civilization is a church across the street, and everything else is roads, neighborhoods, or woods. There's a healthy amount of trees in between the neighborhoods, giving a nice sense of privacy. Out of all the eight or so houses on this street, only our house had access to the woods surrounding the street. My mother was ecstatic about the house, as she always enjoyed the woods. I always got a creepy feeling from them, but figured it was just my anxiety. At the time, I was grounded due to some poor grades, which left me bored most of the time. I figured that since I had seen a ton of deer through our back window, I'd go exploring a little bit and see if there was anything interesting. The woods aren't terribly dense directly behind us, but definitely got a lot more so if you went further in. I explored a while, finding a few deer bones and skulls they even had the antlers attached. I thought it was really cool, a whole car albeit missing the wheels and guts, and a lot of trash. I got an old plastic container and started collecting the things I found interesting, and kept it in the back of the old car. I did this for about a week, gathering about three skulls, a handful of bones, some glass bottles, and a few other things I can't remember at the moment. Over the weekend, I didn't end up going out, as it was stormy. The following week, I want to say Wednesday, after the ground dried up, I ventured back out. I went into the car to refresh my memory on how many things I had collected, and the deer skulls and bones were gone. I was confused, and assumed some animal picked them up and trotted off with them, so I went about looking around for them, or new things to collect. As I looked around, I noticed the antlers of a deer skull deeper into the woods. 
I don't normally go back there, especially since it's technically part of our neighbor's property, but I figured I could just pop over and grab it. As I picked up the skull, I noticed a bone a few feet away sticking out of the leaves. I figured I might as well grab it too, so I picked it up too. As it picked it up, I quickly realized it had a bit of blood and sinew on it, which was alarming to say the least. I quickly dropped it, wiped my hands on my jeans, and walked away, leaving what I assumed to be the buzzard's meal alone. As I approached the car, skull in hand, I noticed something moving in the trees a little beyond it. I froze, assuming it's an animal, not wanting to spook whatever it is. I get scanned the area and see what I now would call a crawler, a little past the car, eyes trained on me. Near white skin, skinny to the point I swear I could see its ribs, naked, hunched over, almost full black eyes, the whole nine yards. As soon as I make eye contact with it, it runs off before I can really react. After that, I went inside and I honestly don't go into the woods back there anymore. Not to mention someone bought the extra property back there and decided to build a house there. That critter is their problem now. Recently, after seeing a string of similar encounters including this one that my father directed me to reminded me of the incident, and I figured that I would investigate it a little more. I couldn't find anything on Reddit besides someone telling me it's fake. For context, we've lived in this house since 2017, and while I've heard the odd animal noise, I haven't seen any evidence of the thing since. Along with this, I haven't gone anywhere near that old car since, let alone the woods themselves. I've only heard of the odd encounter from some of the farm folks I talk to, and from online posts from the surrounding area states. I haven't witnessed much else that would be considered supernatural, and I don't really automatically believe anything talking about supernatural things unless there's evidence, but this seems at least somewhat solid. Overall, I don't know what to think about all this. What do y'all think? I grew up living in the countryside in Scotland. My village was small and surrounded for miles with fields and farmhouses. I definitely wouldn't say it was as rural or secluded as the highlands, but there were miles and miles that just felt uninhabited. Seeing my fair share of creepy things in the woods I would frequently wander through with friends or by myself. I would regularly camp in the woods with small groups of friends and a good few times by myself. One night I got home from high school and realized I had forgot my keys and got locked out resulting in me having to wait from 5pm to around midnight when my dad finished work and could stop by to let me in. I could have gone round to a friend's house but adventure was calling and I had a stash of beers in my garden at the time so figured a walk and a few beers would kill the time nicely. The initial walk was fine and I made my way out to the woods eye and circled around the village a few miles out. There were no issues aside from not wearing boots and it was a good walk, especially with beer. I was heading back about 11pm and was nearing the village, maybe about a mile or so to go. At one point the route I was following back split in two. One route took me along a river and the other went to the left of the river and rose into about a 50 foot ridge. I opted for the latter to try and catch the last glimpses of the sunset. I'll admit at this point I was getting a little tired, very hungry and quite tipsy, but I definitely wasn't drunk, 
and there was absolutely no way I could be drunk enough to hallucinate. As I got to the top of the ridge, I noticed what I assumed was the last pieces of sunlight reflecting off the river through the trees. As I got further along the ridge, I noticed that the reflections were actually candles, and then noticed the candles were being carried by what I can only describe as figures in black KKK-style robes. I froze in a half-crouch looking right down at them, and the woods were silent. After a few seconds of trying to process what I'm looking at the figures stopped walking and just turned their freaking heads right at me. I stood there for probably a few seconds, but it felt like an hour. I couldn't make out any faces, just the outlines of their robes, but they definitely looked human, all various heights and weights. After this brief standoff, I just bolted along the ridge to a hedgerow and just launched myself over through it fueled by a few beers and sheer adrenaline not looking back once. I have no idea what would have happened if I opted for the other route as it would have put me right in front of the bizarre procession. I had only ever heard of one other story about cloaked figures wandering through those woods and never found out who or what it was all about. There are two churches that back onto some fields in the direction I had this encounter, and given how close they were to the village I guess they must have been locals. One of the churches is very secretive with fences surrounding their compound, CCTV, security, and the odd fact that none of the members actually reside in the village. Back in the early 90s, my dad was fishing with some buddies somewhere in Maryland, I think on his friend's small fishing boat. It was another one of their overnight trips, something he did a lot after my parents divorced. This one night, dad and another friend, there were about four of them, were on lookout for ships that might run down their little wooden boat. Dad said it was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, making it easy to spot even the smallest light source on the water. After a while, Dad noticed a big green light off in the distance. At first, he thought it was a school of bioluminescent critters, or maybe even another boat. But as it got closer, realized something was just very off about it. The light was underwater, and in a perfect circle. He's no marine biologist, but my dad knows his shit about marine life. He knows about bioluminescent critters. He used to spend a lot of time telling me about them when I was a kid. Whatever this was, it was not a school of bioluminescent critters. The light went right under the boat and stopped for a few seconds as if it was studying it, then went on its way. It lit up the entire boat with the brightest green light Dad had ever seen, so bright that he could see every detail on his friend's horrified face. He says he guessed it was around 300 feet in diameter. My dad's a big believer in alien life and government cover-ups, and I think this encounter is what really sparked his interest. He says if it wasn't an alien craft, it was probably some kind of secret government craft. The only other encounter I've ever found online like it was this one in California. A few years ago, my boyfriend at the time and I were driving home from visiting friends. It was about 3 a.m., and we were taking a long, winding road down from the eastern suburbs to his house. This road has a pretty good view over the city and surrounding suburbs and out to the sea. There was one car on the road further in front of us, and as we came into the first bend, a huge round orange light appeared above the horizon. 
the light was easily three times as big as the outlines of construction cranes on the shoreline, and as we continued down into the next bend, the light turned into a wavy line across the horizon and then disappeared completely. This happened within about 10 seconds, and we checked to see if there were any reports of anyone seeing the same thing. There was nothing. My boyfriend and I were completely sober and both saw the exact same thing, but could never find an explanation for what it was or how no one else in the city seemed to see it. To this day, I regret not following the other car to ask if they had seen it too. I was an Uber driver in San Francisco. I spent on average 10 hours in the driver's seat in a day's effort. I would make anywhere from $200-$300. I now moved to a different city. I was just starting my journey with the company. First day on the job, I'm super pumped to be talking to people that hailed me on the internet only to get in my car. Story goes I was on my second trip for the ride-sharing company. Due to circumstances I cannot experience explain other than my lack of experience, I received a request at a swank hotel the Ritz-Carlton. After accepting the trip request, I glanced at my phone to see the time it read 20 minutes past 10 p.m. I waited for what seemed as the longest five minutes on God's green earth. After deciding to leave three dishy Indian interns knock on my window, and I let them in. The trip was amazing, nobody was talking, and one guy fell asleep. The trip was a long distance, 19 miles, and it was surging by 2.6, so I was about to get paid major green. Move comes to shove that wasn't the only green that I was witnessing, and I see a guy in the back seat start to whimper. He had awakened from his sleep and started pulsing all over the back seat of my car without opening the windows. Sickened from the odor, I continued to drop them off at their hotel. Needles to say I was green to my stomach with the grime and stench I had to clean up. Many rideshare drivers love what they do for their communities in support of establishing an equal price for transportation, as well as driving drunk people home safely. Please don't puke in their cars. I never thought that walking home from my friend's place would turn out to be a nightmare that I would never forget. It was around 11 p.m., and the city lights were far away and the only source of light was the dim moonlight. As I walked down the deserted street, I heard some faint footsteps behind me. At first, I didn't pay much attention, thinking it was just someone else walking home like me. But then, the footsteps grew louder and closer, and I started to feel uneasy. I started walking faster, hoping to put some distance between me and whoever was following me. However, as I picked up my pace, I heard him walking faster too. My heart started racing and I began to panic. I didn't know what to do and kept looking over my shoulder to see who it was, but I couldn't see anyone. The road ahead seemed endless and I didn't want to turn back and confront the stranger. So I kept walking, hoping that I would reach the city soon. But the footsteps persisted and I knew that I wasn't alone anymore. The stranger started speaking in a low voice but I could still hear what he was saying. He kept repeating phrases like, come here, and join us, which made me shiver. I knew that something wasn't right, and I had to do something to get away from him. My heart was pounding in my chest as I picked up my pace, hoping to lose him. 
but every time I did, he would catch up with me. I started to feel trapped and scared with the thought of what could happen to me. It felt like an eternity, and it was just me, him, and the wind. Finally, after what felt like hours, I saw the city lights in the distance. I knew I had to make a run for it, so I sprinted towards the lights, hoping to get away from the stranger. As I ran, I could hear his footsteps getting farther and farther away. I finally made it to the city, and I breathed a sigh of relief. I was safe now. But as I lay in bed that night, I remembered something that made me shudder. The stranger had something in his hand, and it looked like a knife. I didn't want to imagine what could have happened if he had caught up with me. From that day on, I made sure to avoid walking alone at night and always stayed in well-lit areas. The memory of that night will always stay with me, and I hope that I never have to experience something like that again. Well, I live in southern Canada in farm country. I do believe in the paranormal within reason. Example, if it can be something logical, I believe that first. I just cannot for the life of me explain how I have this memory of this forest from when I'm a kid. I was paying in the woods with my brother, hide and seek for anyone wondering. And I was the one hiding. I remember running as far as I could through the very familiar woods and it's as if I crossed into another dimension. I ran across an invisible line into a place I'd never seen before. All the regular forest sounds that you would normally not notice were gone. This was scary for me, the trees seemed so much bigger, so I ran back the way I came all the way till I found my brother again. He found me right away and I calmed down. I told him about a part of the woods I'd never seen before, so we tries to find it, but never could. If you're looking for scariest non-paranormal, it's a story of my aunt's where the biggest coy wolf she had ever seen stares down her dogs in their fenced-in yard. Later a trapper captured him and sent him to a dog-running place where they train hunting dogs to chase. Don't worry, none of the wild animals are hurt there, and after they let it loose instead of running it tried to walk up to them aggressively. They got back in the truck and left. Apparently as soon as the training guy brought out the dogs, this great big male, instead of running, sprinted straight at the dogs and killed one and seriously injured another before the guys who already had their guns up were able to put it down. We are very sure that this big male coy wolf would have hunted my aunt and her dogs if she took them for a walk. As a guitarist in my free time, my life was usually filled with the soothing melodies of music and the rhythmic strumming of strings. Little did I know that my next mission would involve a different kind of harmony, the harmony of a well-coordinated special forces operation. My name is Jocko, and I led a seasoned special forces team known for our precision and efficiency. Our latest assignment was to protect a high-ranking defector from a rival nation. This defector possessed critical intelligence that could reshape the geopolitical landscape and our mission was to ensure his safe extraction from a city crawling with enemy agents. The rendezvous point was an inconspicuous alley in the heart of a bustling metropolis. My team and I had spent weeks preparing for this operation, studying every inch of the city's layout, scrutinizing the enemy's known movements, and fine-tuning our tactics. This was a high-stakes game of cat and mouse, 
and we couldn't afford to lose. The defector, known by the code name Phoenix, had entrusted us with sensitive information that could change the course of history. His decision to defect came at a high cost. He had seen the darkness within his own government and felt the weight of his conscience bearing down on him. We had to ensure his safety at all costs. The extraction was scheduled for the dead of night, when the city's chaotic energy somewhat waned. The dimly lit alley was cloaked in shadows, and the tension was palpable as we awaited Phoenix's arrival. Our intel had suggested that the enemy had gotten wind of the defector's plans, and their agents were prowling nearby. Finally, he emerged from the darkness, his face masked with uncertainty and fear. Phoenix was a man who had lived a double life for far too long, and his trust in us was unwavering. We quickly ushered him into our waiting vehicle, all the while keeping a watchful eye on the surroundings. The city's labyrinthine streets were filled with potential threats. As we navigated the maze, it became evident that the enemy was closing in. They were determined to prevent the intelligence from falling into the wrong hands. The chase was on, and our team had to use every ounce of our training and experience to evade capture. Gunfire erupted, and we were forced to engage the enemy agents in a high-speed pursuit through the city's narrow streets. Our vehicle weaved through the urban landscape, tires screeching, while bullets whizzed past us. The mission hung in the balance, and it was clear that we were up against a formidable adversary. But we had a secret weapon in our arsenal, our unwavering determination to protect Phoenix and ensure the safety of the critical intelligence he carried. We fought relentlessly, using our training and teamwork to outmaneuver our pursuers. With each passing minute, we distanced ourselves from the enemy agents. Our radio crackled with updates from our support team, who guided us to an extraction point. The exhilaration of the chase was met with the anxious anticipation of reaching safety. As we neared the extraction point, the city's skyline disappeared in the rearview mirror, and a sense of relief washed over us. We had successfully protected Phoenix and the critical intelligence. Our mission had been a success, and the world would soon learn the truth about the rival nation's dark secrets. Back in the calm of our base, I couldn't help but reflect on the duality of my life from strumming guitars in my free time to leading special forces teams on high-stakes missions. Our work was never easy, but it was essential to safeguarding the values we held dear. Not me but my cousin in the 80s was on a camping trip with his wife. It wasn't a busy day for camping and according to my cousin, the ranger told them that they were the only ones camping there that night. Anyway, so it's getting late and my cousin said he spots something across the lake. He thought it was a bear standing, so he grabs his binoculars. It was sort of like a bear, but it was standing up on its hind legs. He said it wasn't a bear because it had a face like a 70-year-old man and the fur was longer than a bear. He thought maybe it was someone in a suit, but it disappeared quickly. Whatever it was, he was so spooked and wanted to leave the park immediately. His wife thought he was being ridiculous though and just having an overactive imagination. She had brought a shotgun and insisted that they be fine if anything happened. That night, everything is going fine until my cousin is awakened by footsteps. Now his wife is still asleep at this point, 
but he doesn't want to wake her. He just tries to keep still and quiet as possible. A figure approaches the tent. My cousin said he was positioned so that his head was on the corner of the tent. This figure leans down and gently presses its hand around the corner of the tent. So the figure is basically putting its hands around my cousin's head. I don't remember how long he said this lasted, but this figure eventually left. My cousin said it smelled like mechanical things, like someone working on a car, although he heard no car. The next morning, everything at the campsite was untouched, no problems at all. My cousin didn't mention anything about finding footprints, and there wasn't any evidence that someone had been there. He eventually went and researched the area and discovered that their camping area is supposedly a hotspot for Bigfoots and such. He firmly believes that he saw some kind of Sasquatch. I'm not sure if I believe him. If anything, I always thought it was just a person messing with him. I actually have several other stories, but I didn't want a post to drag on, and I thought it would be too overwhelming. In the early spring of 1995, a friend of mine and I had just finished a construction job in Vancouver, Washington, and were heading back home to Oklahoma. We left Vancouver in the late afternoon and made our way down the highway that runs parallel to the Columbia River. I cannot remember the hash of the road just after dark we approached what the sign said was the Columbia River Gorge. Seeing as how it was dark, we did not see much. The road started to bend south a bit, and we came to the first incline, and in the headlights of my truck appeared this figure. At first I thought it was some animal that was crossing the road, but as we got closer and the lights of the truck became more focused on it, we realized that it was not a common animal. It looked to be about three to four feet tall with the strangest red-colored hair covering its body. But the thing is, it was sitting in the road facing us with one leg straight out and the other leg out to its right side, and it was trying to push itself up as if it had been hit by a car. Well, I had to swerve into the other lane to avoid hitting the poor thing. All this took place in about a minute or so. My friend and I never said a word until after it was over a minute or so. I said, Charlie, did you see that? And he replied, I wasn't going to say nothing till you said something, but yes, we thought right off of going back, but had decided that since it was so small that mother could be nearby, and we both being avid hunters were armed, but what we saw was no mule deer or bear or anything else that we had stalked in the past. So we kept driving just to be on the safe side. Back when I was in high school, some friends and I went out to get some food at about 2 a.m. While we were driving, one friend said something like, Why us that guy out jogging at 2 a.m. dressed like that? We looked and sure enough there was what looked like a guy dressed in all black including pants and a hoodie. We live in Phoenix and even at 2 a.m. during the summer, it's way too hot to be dressed like that. After about 30 seconds of this guy jogging by us, though the driver mentioned that. A guy's I'm going 45. How is he keeping up with us? We took the first turn we could and to this day I still don't know who what that was.
I was just out for a Sunday stroll in the near woods when I suddenly stood in front of something that looked like a single huge boar with terrifying tusk. Maybe 20-30 meters away, and as I didn't have my glasses on it was a bit blurry. It was so tall and stood so still that I took it for some kind of fake or overstuffed taxidermy. I wondered why someone would place an oversized boar in our forest and walk towards in order to see if there were some hidden cameras or stuff like that. When I was 10-12 meters away the boar gave noise and I froze. For me it was surreal because that animal was definitely too big to be a wild boar in a small forest near a bigger town of Central Europe. I have seen big ones up to a shoulder high of nearly one meter, but that thing was in another league standing 1.6 meters tall. Because it had a little bit high ground we were at eye level. I assumed a very elaborate prank and watched closely for hidden speakers, but was too afraid to move on. I finally found my glasses and put them one giving the prank bore an unsettling depth of detail. Then the bore moved in a way no servo or hidden wires could have done, and I came to the slow realization that the giant a few meters away was indeed a Huxilla with tusks like daggers. There was only one time that my heart did the same reaction, and that was when I accidentally shocked myself with 230 VSC. It just stopped for a moment. With the adrenaline finally kicking in, I got my heartbeat back and noped out in a firm and steady march frenetically littering everything in my backpack on the ground. I hoped that something would seem more interesting or eatable than me. I was too afraid to look back and walked on until I got to the next road where I stopped the next car. I got into the front passenger seat and told the friendly woman that had stopped for me to please, please drive on. She was so kind to bring me to my parked car and the little parking space was full of cars and men. Turned out a prized Carpathian boar named Edgar was on the loose, and this was the rescue party because the regional ranger had told the owner that he will shoot him if he ever saw Edgar in his forest again. I told him where I had encountered Edgar, and they got him with a tranquilizer gun while he was eating my lunch. Learned that day how big Carpathian boars can become, and that Edgar was a nice guy most of the time and a little bit of a giant Houdini too. But dear God did that boar freak me out, and I cursed a bit that we sold the guns I inherited when we moved to the city. This happened nearly two years ago. I live Oklahoma and I'm sure most of you have heard of the Bever family murders that took place in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, a few years ago. I would link a news article about it, but I'm too scared to even do that. Fall of 2016 was my first semester of college. I was an hour and a half away at college and decided to come home for the weekend to see my ex and one of my friends. We loved going into abandoned places, and somehow the Bever house was brought up. It was definitely still talked about because it was so horrible. My friend knew where the house was, so we decided to drive by it. At this point, we had no intention of going in it. This was my second time ever seeing the house. We arrived and I parked my car at the end of the street. I had my camera with me and I recorded the entire thing. First we went up to the house to just look in the windows. What really freaked me out was that the blinds were drawn and you could see into every room. There was a ceiling fan on in the kitchen and a light on in one of the back bedrooms on the first floor. 
It got worse. We then noticed the floors were ripped up, the cabinets in the kitchen ripped out, and there were a ton of cutouts in the walls. Why? All of the blood. My ex decided to wiggle a doorknob on a door that lead into the garage, and for some reason it was unlocked. All of the other doors to the house were locked, and had those lock boxes on them like the house was for sale or something. So it was super weird that the door was just unlocked. When he opened it, he walked into the garage and went straight to the door to the house that lead into the kitchen. It was also unlocked, like I said, I recorded the entire thing. I don't have it saved on my computer, but I did upload it to a YouTube channel, and it's unlisted so that way I can send the link to people who are curious. If anyone would like that, just let me know. Once we got into the house, I felt very odd. It was so dark and heavy in there for obvious reasons. We made our way through the kitchen and living room and eventually up the stairs. Along the way getting even more creeped out because of all of the little cutouts in the walls from the blood. Once we got upstairs, we noticed a door that was locked, but the light was on in the room. We were not able to open it. We eventually left, and then like the smart people we are, got two more friends with us and went back for a second time. The two people who came with us the second time were too scared to go in, so they waited in the driveway. That means that they were not able to see the door we entered or the kitchen at all because of the way the garage is placed. It protrudes from the house. The second time we went in, we just stayed in the kitchen, and my ex was talking out loud to the spirits. We heard footsteps upstairs. I caught a high-pitched scream in the video, and like I said, I'll link it if anyone wants. As soon as we walked out, the two friends in the driveway asked how it was and asked my friend that went in with me why she didn't respond to their text. She pulls out her phone and they had texted and asked if we were upstairs. Why? Because they saw someone standing in an upstairs window. Keep in mind, we only stayed in the kitchen. We sprinted to my car. The next day I felt so weird. Long story short, I went to this spiritual bookstore and talked to the owner, and he saged us. It was absolutely horrifying. One of my friends did not get saged, and she called us later that night and told us she was driving to the Bever house and didn't know why. Something was definitely attached to us. It was a chilly day in May when my two friends and I decided to embark on a camping trip at Skookum Lake, located in the Cascades about 20 air miles southeast of Estacada, Oregon. We were looking forward to catching crawfish and enjoying the solitude of the remote location. The snow had made the roads almost impassable, but our four-wheel drive managed to get us through to our campsite. After setting up camp, we spent the day fishing and exploring the area. As night fell, we huddled around the campfire, swapping stories and enjoying each other's company. The peaceful silence of the wilderness was a welcome break from our daily lives. However, in the early hours of Monday, May 22, 1995, the peace was shattered. I began to hear the unmistakable sound of branches breaking in the distance. My curiosity peaked. I grabbed my powerful flashlight and shined it toward the source of the noise. About 150 feet away, I saw something I never expected to encounter a Bigfoot. The creature was about seven feet tall, with glowing yellow eyes in the light. 
Its fur was black, but its head and shoulders were a much lighter color. The creature appeared to be sidestepping down a slope, and as I watched in awe, it froze in place. For forty-five minutes, the Bigfoot stood there, not moving, even when I called my buddies over to witness the sight. They were just as astonished as I was, and we could hardly believe what we were seeing. Two days later, I returned to the area with plaster, hoping to find any evidence of the creature's presence. I discovered a partial track not in the snow, measuring 21 inches in length. The large toe was clearly visible, and I carefully made a cast of the print. While searching the area, I also found two hand-sized droppings wrapped in a silky membrane. It appeared to be some sort of mold, and I collected the samples for further examination. Upon returning to our campsite, I noticed a large finger or toe print on my dark green 1977 Ford, right next to a small dent. I decided to lift the print using tape and flour, but not before asking a friend to take a close-up photograph of the evidence. With the track, droppings, and the print on my truck, I planned to bring everything to the local bookshop for examination. I hoped that these findings would help shed light on the elusive creature that had captivated our imaginations and left us with an unforgettable experience. I had a tenant living in basement, but he got into a car accident about three minutes walking from the house and passed away at the scene. At first I didn't know about this. But one night, I think it was no more than three days after the accident, the lights in our house were all flickered for exactly three times in a minute. But that's not all. I went to the bathroom later after my mom. The door wasn't locked. But as I was pushing the door, I felt a strong force behind the door pushing against me. At first I thought I hallucinated, but I tried for the second time and the door just didn't move. I pushed it really hard, but it still didn't move. I think I even heard a chuckle, then I started talking with my mind saying whoever you are, we didn't do anything wrong, why are you messing with me, this is not funny. Then that force went away. After that I went on the internet, typed in his name then found out the accident. That was the only time the door jammed. I had heard stories and rumors about strange creatures lurking in the vast wilderness of Yellowstone National Park, but as a seasoned park ranger. I had never encountered anything beyond the ordinary. That all changed one fateful day when I embarked on a routine patrol that would forever alter my perception of the park's mysteries. As I roamed the rugged terrain, my keen eyes scanning the surroundings, I noticed an unusual movement in the distance. There among the trees stood a towering figure about eight or nine feet tall. It was a shadowy silhouette, an enigma against the backdrop of the dense forest. My heart quickened with curiosity and fear, for I had never seen anything quite like it before. The creature's too long, skinny legs seemed to support its massive frame effortlessly. Its arms were elongated, nearly reaching the ground, and just as slender as the rest of its body. Its appearance was both surreal and unsettling, like something out of a terrifying nightmare. The most unnerving aspect was its face, or rather, the complete lack thereof. There was no discernible facial features, just a long, skinny neck leading up to a head that appeared to be featureless. The absence of any eyes, nose, or mouth sent a shiver down my spine. I instinctively reached for my camera, 
hoping to capture this extraordinary sighting. As I aimed, the creature seemed to sense my presence, turning its formless head in my direction. Fear gripped me, but I was determined to document this inexplicable encounter. In an instant, the creature reacted, as if aware of my intentions. Without warning, it sprinted into the woods with incredible speed, disappearing among the trees. My heart pounded as I tried to follow, but it was futile the creature was gone, leaving me with only my own stunned disbelief. I couldn't shake the feeling that I had just witnessed something beyond explanation. Was this a creature of folklore, an urban legend come to life? My mind raced through possibilities, but there was no denying the image burned into my memory. As days turned into weeks, I became consumed by the sighting. I pored over books and articles, searching for any mention of similar encounters. The more I read, the more convinced I became that I had come face to face with Bigfoot, the legendary creature said to roam the wilderness. The skepticism of my fellow rangers and the public weighed heavily on me, but I couldn't dismiss what I had seen with my own eyes. My determination to find proof of Bigfoot's existence grew, and I launched my own private investigation. Armed with cameras, audio recorders, and an unwavering belief in the unknown, I delved deeper into the secluded corners of the park. I tracked footprints, collected hair samples, and set up motion-activated cameras, hoping to capture undeniable evidence. Days turned into weeks, and still, the mysterious creature eluded me. The more I searched, the more elusive it seemed. Doubt crept into my mind was I chasing a mere illusion born from a moment of excitement. Just as I was on the brink of giving up, fate intervened. On a crisp morning, I discovered fresh tracks in the muddy ground. My heart leaped with excitement as I followed the trail. It led me deeper into the wilderness, far from the well-trodden paths. As I ventured further, I heard an eerie rustling in the bushes ahead. My breath caught in my throat as I prepared to face whatever was lurking behind the foliage. But instead of the shadowy figure I had encountered before, I found myself face to face with a majestic elk, its imposing antlers casting eerie shadows on the forest floor.